Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Welcome, Simon. Thank you. <laughs> so glad to be in shorts today. I was in a three-piece yesterday doing that wedding, and I was absolutely melting. It was, it was very, very warm. Okay, so just a few more weeks to go, three more weeks to go on our Galatians series. Um, thank you, everyone, who encouraged me after last week's talk. I think there was a lot in there, and I think a lot to process, a lot to think about. Uh, we're going to continue today. Um, looking at uh, the next section. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles or your phones or anything else you want to bring out, the words will be on the screen as well. But uh, we're going to look over the next two weeks at how the gospel affects how we relate to each other. I was going to do this originally in one week, but I think I'm going to spread it over two to give us a bit more time to breathe on this subject. So Galatians 5:25, where we finished off last week, through to 6.5, we'll look at the first part of this section today. So I'll just pop that on the screens for you. So we've done, that's where we are so far. We're into this, um, this last section here of, I'll call it new relating. Rather new relationships. It's not about forming new relationships, it's about how you relate to people in a new way. So we're going to do part one today, and then part one uh, next week. So we're going to start with this set of scriptures here. We finished last week with Paul looking at the way the, the fruit grows in us as we, as we live in the identity of Christ, how Christ has transformed us. And he said, if we live by the Spirit, let's also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And um, I really want to ask you this morning, what difference does the gospel make to the way you relate to people? Because it should make a massive difference, okay? What difference does the gospel make in the way you relate to people? In this next short section, we're going to look at just a few principles of how the gospel should transform our relationships. But I thought we'd watch a bit of classic comedy just to get us out of the blocks this morning. So here we go. I look down on him because I am upper class. I look up to him because he is upper class. But I look down on him because he is lower class. <laughs> I am middle class. <laughs> I know my place. <laughs> I look up to them both, but I don't look up to him as much as I look up to him. Because <laughs> he has got innate breeding. I have got innate breeding, but I have not got any money. <laughs> so sometimes I look up to him. I still look up to him, because although I have money, I am vulgar. <laughs> but I'm not as vulgar as him, so I still look down on him. I know my place. <laughs> I look up to them both. But while I am poor, I am industrious, honest and trustworthy. Had I the inclination, I could look down on them. <laughs> but I don't. We all know our place, but what do we get out of it? I get a feeling of superiority over them. I get a feeling of inferiority from him. But a feeling of superiority over him. I'll get a pain in the back of my neck. Bit of classic comedy there. 
So I'm not sure who we look up to and who we look down to anymore. We live in a crazy culture, don't we? But what the gospel encourages us not to do is to relate in a way that's superior or inferior. It encourages us to relate in a way that's completely unique when we have the person of Jesus living in us. So rather than comparing ourselves to who we think, who we think are above, above us or those we think below us, we relate in a completely different way. And the gospel forces us to take responsibility for the way we relate. It forces us back in, into ourselves. We've said all through this series that you have a new identity. You are a son or a daughter of Father God if you've received Christ into your life. And it's out of that new identity that you now live. And God has entrusted different things to different ones of us. We have different social standing, we have different circumstances, we have different um, relationships, we have different amounts of possessions, different things that God's called us to steward. But we do all this through the lens of what Christ has done for us. And so the gospel completely reworks the way we do relationships. And Paul encourages the church in Galatia, as we saw last week, to live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. We're living from this renewed identity. We just tapped into this diagram last week, which I know many of you found helpful. Rather than thinking about a mixed nature, we talked about the fact that in Christ, your nature has been made completely different. You're 100% righteous. You're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. But your mindset is still mixed. And that influences your desires, and so does your ability to choose. Your will also influences your desires and your actions. So rather than living from a mixed nature, you live, in fact, from a mixed mindset. And you've heard some of the testimonies today, again, from how powerful freedom in Christ is in helping with our mindset. Because when we start to renew our minds with the truth, we live from our new identity. And so I know many of you found that helpful. And Paul goes on to say, if we keep in step with the Spirit, it will transform the way we do relationships. So he says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. And this word conceited, it's an interesting word. In the Greek, it means vain glory or empty of honor. And so Paul says, don't live in a way that's just empty of honor. It's just basically a vain attempt to gain glory for yourselves. Because what Paul sees at the heart of every person is a deep insecurity. We all carry a deep insecurity and we crave honour. You could say we have an honour hunger within us. We crave, we have a desire to feel self-worth and to feel honour. And often those things twist us out of shape. And so our minds tend to fixate on comparing ourselves to other people. How many people have you compared yourself with already this morning? You might have gone onto social media. You might have gone onto the news. You might have looked at somebody as you walked in this morning. You might have seen somebody in a car. You might have seen someone walking by. And your mind would automatically have jumped to a comparison. Am I better or worse than that person? Am I superior or inferior to that person? And if we feel superior, we feel better about ourselves. If we feel inferior we feel that kind of internal devastation, don't we? We live in a a culture where technology feeds on a hunger 24-7. Every social media post that you read or every social media post that you put up is probably an attempt to gain some degree of honour for yourself. 
And it's very hard to come away from any social media engagement in what I would class as a neutral state. You're either coming away feeling better about yourself because someone's having a worse time than you, or you come away feeling worse about yourself because you perceive someone's living a better life than you. Anyone resonate? And we tell ourselves that in our heads that we know that the world of social media is false and it's not true and it's a, it's a distortion of reality, but that doesn't protect our hearts from when we engage with this stuff. We still come away with a feeling of superiority or inferiority. We can't escape these, these deep insecurities within us. And this honour hunger makes us competitive. It describes the natural state of your heart that hasn't been touched by the gospel. Paul says if we're conceited, we'll be what he calls provoking and envying each other. The word provoke here means to challenge, challenge someone to a contest. In the old days, it would have been pistols at dawn. You know, I, I challenge you to a duel. Now we challenge each other with, fo- with social media posts, don't we? I challenge you to a Facebook duel. My life is better than your life. I can post more fantastic photos than you can. And we have, we have these social media duels where we try and outdo each other and seek honour in the electronic world. We try and assert our superiority. The word envy in this passage means to want something that rightfully belongs to somebody else or to deny that person the thing that uh, they want. So it's, it's this double-edged word in the Greek. And so it's a, almost you can say, look what I've got and you haven't got. And, and that's what Paul is talking about here. And so the stuff we expose ourselves to and we're exposed to can create a continuing hunger for a possession or a relationship or an experience that we perceive we don't have in our lives. Or perhaps we post something that says, look what I've got, but you don't have it. Look what I'm doing that you're not doing. Now, please hear me out. I'm not anti-social media, okay? I think it's a, it's a very powerful and useful tool. But it does put a tremendous pressure on the ability to renew our minds with the gospel. Because the world is looking to squeeze you into its mould. It's looking to form you. And it's got some very powerful tools at its disposal. But the gospel calls us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we're continually trying to renew our minds with the truth that actually now we're a different person in Christ. That our honour and our security doesn't reside in our earthly status or our possessions or our circumstances. It resides in our new nature in Christ. We're children of the King. And so I need to ask you this morning, what's your primary diet? What do you feed your mind with? What do you feed your mind with? Because the thing you feed your mind with will be the thing that really influences your ability to live out of that nature. And if you're spending an awful lot of time on social media and you're feeding your mind continue with that, then it really will influence your ability to live out of a new nature, to live out of a place of security. So your honour hunger will be continually stimulated as you engage with that stuff. And you'll come away feeling inflated or deflated, superior or inferior. And Paul says both of these things, both superiority and inferiority, are forms of conceit. That this, this vain glory that he talks about. 
Because both the superior person and the inferior person, they're both self-absorbed people, not Christ-absorbed people. They're focusing on achieving that sense of self-worth through themselves. They're not looking to their new identity in Christ. They're looking to other things to make them feel better about themselves. So the only difference between a person of arrogance and a person of low self-esteem is one person perceives they're winning or the other person perceives they're losing. But both people are absorbed within themselves. The superior person on the, is always checking to see if they're staying ahead. Are they still winning? So they'll, they'll post something else, they'll do something else just to show they're still winning. That's the superior outlook of conceit. The person of self-esteem or inferiority feels like they've already lost at that game. And so they just enter into that identity and they envy the person they perceive as a winner. Most of the time we feel superiority and inferiority at the same time in our lives, don't we? We feel like we're winning in some areas but losing in others. Yeah? That's what we feel like, don't we? I'm, I'm, I'm scoring not too bad in that area, but I'm not doing too bad in that area. We have these mixed ways of thinking about ourselves and our self-esteem. C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. And so what we're trying to do as we push into God is we're trying to not get our, our honour and our glory from ourselves or our circumstances. We're trying to look to God for our security. See, self-punishment and low self-esteem are not, is not humility. It's not humility. To think lowly of yourself is not humility. It's just as much a rejection of the gospel as pride and, and sort of arrogance are. Both are the wrong ways of, of relating to the gospel. Both superiority complexes and inferiority complexes are just born out of this deep... In- They're just different outworkings of this vain glory that people are trying to get a hold of. So you could paraphrase this verse, this verse 26, by saying, do not let your honour hunger or your hunger for honour make you either despise or envy people. Paul says, don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. Because the Spirit works within us to change our perception of ourselves, to change our sense of self-worth and identity. And if Jesus were here today and he could speak to you directly, he would say, your identity, your value, does not reside in what other people think about you. It doesn't reside there. It resides in a different place. It resides in the heart of the Father, that you're utterly accepted and loved by Christ. And so this whole new image which is formed within us isn't based upon comparison. We don't need to go through life anymore comparing ourselves with others to see whether we're winning or losing. So the gospel makes you neither self-confident nor self-disdaining. The gospel makes you bold and humble. Bold and humble. Which is a fantastic place to be. Because you can relate to people on a completely different footing. You can relate to people in the confidence of who you are in Christ, but in the humility of knowing that you're a sinner saved by grace. Bold and humble. It's a profound thing the gospel does for us in terms of the way we relate to people. 
So if you don't have the gospel and you relate to people in boldness, you're really just thinking about superiority. And if you don't have the gospel and you relate to people with, with his humility, you're just thinking inferiority. But the gospel lets you be bold and humble. Confident in who you are in Christ, yet able to take the low road in relationships. And that is the real power of the way the gospel transforms relationships. No longer are you caught between these two paradoxes of trying to, trying to be the, the superior or the inferior person, looking up, looking down. A new way of relating, a new view of self-image. This gospel gives you boldness and humility and enables you to do relationships differently because these things can exist together in you now. They're not in tension with each other anymore. So practically, let's think about it. Let's think about you're in a situation, maybe you're at work this week and suddenly you feel, you feel defensive around somebody because they seem to be superior to you and you start to feel those defensive, inferior feelings rising. You can just say, Lord... I remember at this point I'm a child of God, fully loved and fully accepted. I don't need to relate to this person as a, as a superior person. I don't need to feel inferior to them. My identity, my self-worth is in you alone. And that changes the way we relate to that person. Or perhaps you're in a situation where you feel like you're looking down on someone. You're feeling superior to them. You can remind yourself at that point, actually, God, without you, you know, I have no, I have no value. Uh, you know, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Without your grace in my life, you know, I'd be nothing. I'd be far from you. So that changes the nature of that relationship. You can love that person as Christ loved you. See, it changes, guys, when our, our sense of self-worth becomes rooted in the person of Christ. The world will never give you your self-worth. The world will never give you a sense of, of, of security in who you are. It will always either make you feel superior or inferior. That's just the way it works. So what we need to say is, Lord Jesus, will you come and show me who I am in you? Will you come and, and root me into my new identity so I can be confident in you and I can be humble in you? I don't have to be caught between these two things continually. Because when this vainglory flows into our relationships, it does change them, it does distort them, it does affect them. We've already talked about how Paul has tried to tackle the Galatians and say you can't add to your salvation, you can't self-save. There's no, there's no salvation in legalism, there's no salvation in, uh, in hedonism, excessively sort of, we talked about this road, didn't we? We said this road of life and it's got two ditches, a, road of, a ditch of legalism, we can fall into, we can punish ourselves and try and live a religious lifestyle to try and make ourselves feel better. Or we can fall into this ditch over here of an excessively worldly lifestyle, a hedonistic lifestyle, where we just self-please. Neither of these things are going to produce salvation. They're just distortions, forms of self-salvation that we try and do to make ourselves feel better. So if you're, if you're a moralist and you do relationships, you're just going to want people to make you feel better about yourself. You're going to look for their approval. You're going to look for the, for, the, for, the, for the way they make you feel better. You're going to rely on them to make you feel more secure in yourself. 
you'll need their, you'll need their approval, you'll need, you'll need a nice comment, you'll need a stroke, you'll need reliance on them to make you feel like you're doing well enough. That's how a moralist would approach relationships. A hedonist, on the other hand, doesn't really need people for that. He just needs people for pleasure or satisfaction. So a hedonist will just use people to just feel better in that way, to make sure they feel better about life or better about pleasure. Both these types of relating are self-serving. They don't have Christ at the heart. So think about the way you relate to your parents or your way to your family. You know, if you're a moralist, you'll feel obligated to maybe... You know, ring your mom and dad regularly or ring, ring your family regularly because you don't, you'll feel like you're letting them down, you'll feel like you're coming up short and you worry about the way they think about you. If you're a hedonist, you probably don't think about ringing your parents at all because you're not really bothered about them unless you need something. Perhaps you need some money or you need some, something from them. So you ring them when you want to get something from them. Both ways of relating are wrong. Both ways of relating are conceited because they're focused on the self. The gospel frees us from the need to do life this way. It enables us to be humble and bold. We can relate to people through the person of Christ. We can relate to our family and our friends through the person of Christ. We're not looking for them to give to us something they can't give. The gospel enables us to live as brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, it changes the way we relate to each other. Changes the way. But when we're a child of God, we relate as family. And Paul goes on to say, if somebody's caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should gently try and restore them. You see, if we're living from an inferiority or or a a superiority complex and we see someone who's struggling, we'll relate to them on the basis of that. We might think, I'm glad I'm not doing that in my life. I'm glad I haven't fallen for that one. I'm glad, you know, you'll feel superior. Or perhaps you look at them and say, actually, I'm doing a lot worse in my life than they're doing. And you feel inferior. But Christ enables us to come to someone who is caught in a situation now, when Paul says caught in sin, what he doesn't mean is that we become spiritual police and we go around policing each other's lives and, and looking for wrongdoing. He's saying you see somebody who's in a situation that's overwhelmed them and it's your job, your responsibility as a fellow brother or sister in Christ to come alongside them and try and restore them. It's a fascinating word that's used here for being caught in sin in the Greek. It means dislocation. Anybody had any part of their body dislocated ever? Very painful. Very painful. I was, a cricket, I was at a cricket match with Les years ago, and I remember someone being on the outfield, and they tried to catch a ball, and it dislocated their finger. And I was like, oh. Les got that guy and put the finger back in for him. The guy came over, and the finger... Do you remember that day? Yeah. That finger was out. And the thing about a dislocated joint is it, the thing is in the wrong place. <laughs> that part of your body shouldn't be in that place. It needs to go back into the right place. And there's pain in the dislocation because you know, your body's not supposed to be there. And so there's pain in the dislocation. And there's a degree of pain putting the thing back in again. But that's a healing pain. That's a healing pain that puts that dislocated thing back in place. 
And so Paul says, if you see somebody who's dislocated by sin, it's your job to gently put them back in, to put them back into place as they should be. And I think we've got confused here because Paul goes on to say, you know, watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. And I think in the past people think, well, actually, this means, you know, if I get too close to a person who's sinning, I might be sucked into their gravity of sin, into their whirlpool of sin, and I'll be taken down with them. Paul doesn't mean that at all, because the context is, we're talking about conceit here, aren't we? So the temptation is that if you see someone in sin, the temptation is to adopt a position of conceit and say, look at them, look what they've done. Adopt this position of superiority over the person who is struggling or overwhelmed. See, Jesus didn't shy away from people who were struggling, did he? He went straight into their world. He wasn't worried about being contaminated by a sinner. He brought the salt and the light and the change into the situation. So Paul isn't saying, you know, don't get too close to people who are struggling because you might become like them. What he's saying is, don't be tempted to adopt a position of superiority or conceit when you see somebody who's struggling. I think it was Billy Graham who said, you know, don't, don't take pride in uh, resisting a sin that you've never been tempted by. Because we all struggle with different things. We all struggle with different temptations. So Paul says, get this dislocated person back in as they should be. From the position of you knowing that your identity and security is a sinner saved by grace. See, we can't, we can't gently restore somebody if we don't have that assurity of who we are in Christ because we approach it from a wrong perspective. We approach it from a way that makes us feel superior. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about this. He says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord and Jesus Christ. He's the, he's the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. And he comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in trouble. So out of the compassion and comfort that we receive, out of the grace that flows into our life, we can pour that into other people's lives when they're in situations that overwhelm them. So guys, in summing up, I really, 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 really want to help you, encourage you to go deeper into this identity in Christ. Think about your diet this week. What are you feeding your mind with? What are you going to be feeding your mind with? Next week, we're going to look at how Paul helps us to think about how we support each other, how we carry each other's burdens, and how we carry our own load at the same time. This seeming paradox that's present, but it isn't a paradox at all. The gospel frees us from self-salvation. It frees us from the treadmill of trying to get our identity from a place other than God. So this week, think about your diet for your mind. What are you going to feed your mind with? What are you going to feed your mind with? Because what you feed your mind with will help you live out of your new identity. It'll help this vain glory to diminish in you as you become more secure as a person in Christ. But if you just feed your mind with a diet that's just going to inflate that glory, that vain glory, you're going to continually be in this whirlwind of feeling superior, inferior, superior, inferior, winning, losing, winning, losing. And that's not what God wants for you. We talked... I've talked many times about the Gospels a bit, a bit like waiting to run the 100 metres and before the gun goes off, 
the, uh, the presiding sort of official comes over and puts the gold medal around your neck and says, right, you've won. Now run the race. And that's what the gospel says to you. You've won. You are secure, accepted, assured in Christ. You'll never be any better in Christ than you are today. From that position, run the race that's set before you. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside. <laughs>